48K News. It's 11 o'clock, I'm Robert Kemp. Tonight's headlines, an appeal board overturns the police ban on a march for press freedom this Sunday on the condition that Matthew Chung grants an exemption to coronavirus gathering restrictions. A High Court judge criticises the Justice Secretary, suggesting she'd not done enough to defend the judiciary from attacks. And Hong Kong's economy is now projected to shrink a record 6.1% for the year. An appeal board has overturned a police ban on March, organised by the Hong Kong Journalists Association. It's only if the Chief Secretary, Matthew Chern, grants an exemption from a gathering restriction. If it goes ahead, the march will be Hong Kong's first legal protest in months. The union says it wants to highlight what it calls the suppression of the media and issues such as the arrest of the RTHK producer Bao Choi. The association's vice chairman, Ronson Chan, says he's hopeful the secretary will respond positively. I don't think he will evade his responsibility. If he had no reply, that it shows how powerless of the SAR government. If we don't get any reply from Matthew Chang, we have no choice to declare the possession will be dismissed and we will persuade people don't gather within this site. Because with the experience of the past year, if the appeal was dismissed by the panel, but still have some uh, possession or assembly hold, that African will bear some illegal responsibility. High Court judge has criticised Justice Secretary Theresa Chang over her response to personal attacks on members of the judiciary. As Maggie Hill reports, Mr Justice Russell Coleman made the critical remark in a written judgment to extend a temporary injunction banning people from publishing personal details of judges or magistrates. The injunction to protect judicial officers from doxing was sought by Theresa Cheng in the wake of a series of incidents connected to protest-related court cases. Now, Mr Justice Coleman has extended the injunction, but at the same time, he took the opportunity to complain about the way Ms Cheng has dealt with or failed to deal with public attacks on the judiciary. He said traditionally, judges don't defend themselves from unfair and inappropriate criticism. That was the duty for the Justice Secretary. However, it seems that unfortunately that tradition is in decline and is not now always promptly honoured, Justice Coleman wrote. The judge also warned people against politicising cases, saying judges and judicial officers are not engaged in a political process and they do not decide political issues. He said that criticism of the judiciary should be informed, solidly based and properly made, or else it would damage public confidence in the administration of justice and ultimately to the rule of law in Hong Kong. The government says it expects the local economy to shrink by 6.1% for the whole of this year, the biggest contraction on record. It had earlier predicted a contraction of between 6 and 8%. The economy shrank 3.5% in the third quarter. Government economist Andrew Au expects better figures for this quarter, but warned that a new wave of coronavirus infections could quickly derail any recovery. It's very important for us to keep the epidemic under control. Now, in our forecast, of course, we assume that uh, the epidemic situation will remain stable in the rest of this year. So if there's a fourth wave of infection, then probably the actual outturn may be uh, somewhat worse than what we forecast. Mr Howe also expects inflation for the year to be lower than expected, with underlying inflation at 1.3% against an early prediction of 1.8%. 
Former LegCo President Deng Yuxing has rejected suggestions from the Bar Association and some overseas governments that Beijing's ousting of four pan-democratic lawmakers is an affront to the rule of law. Mr Deng says the legal basis of the ruling by the National People's Congress Standing Committee is clear. The criticisms have come from people, I believe, who are either not fully aware of the constitutional and legal framework within which the decision of the NPCSC was made. Or, if they fully understand that system, they do not agree with it. But that is the system. Mr. Zeng also dismissed concerns that the lack of opposition lawmakers undermines LegCo's legitimacy. The fact that a number of members in the Legislative Council have chosen to leave the Council would not affect its legitimacy. As long as there is a quorum, the LegCo can proceed with its business. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is five minutes past 11. And the Office of the Foreign Ministry in Hong Kong has hit back at overseas criticism of the disqualification of four pan-democratic lawmakers, insisting that Beijing has dished out the right medicine. Maggie Ho reports. In a statement, a spokesperson for the office said the expulsion of Elvin Young, Dennis Kwok, Kwok Kaki and Kenneth Leung would start a new chapter in ensuring the smooth operation of the legislature. The decision was the right medicine and would ensure the normal operation of LegCo, it added. The disqualifications would also better ensure that Hong Kong is governed by Hong Kong people with a high degree of autonomy, it added, without expanding. The statement followed condemnation of the expulsions by a number of foreign governments. Overnight, Britain summoned the Chinese ambassador to protest, while Canada said it was expanding immigration options for Hong Kong people in light of recent developments. A Swiss photographer has been acquitted of aiding public disorder during a pro-democracy protest last year in which a mainland man was assaulted. Prosecutors had accused Marc Projean of closing a door to a building, saying this had allowed protesters to beat the man. Eastern Court accepted that Mr Projean's behaviour may be explained by his attempts to find the right spot from which to photograph the scene. Magistrate Stephanie Choi says the security footage showed the 74-year-old moving away from the victim. Speaking afterwards, Mr Projean said he won't be deterred from covering future protests. I was at the wrong place at the wrong moment. And then it turned out that uh, somebody was attacked. And I was arrested for the reason that you have heard about, and then uh, that's it. So, frankly speaking, uh, I'm just doing what you are doing at the moment. You are here as a photographer or a journalist, and then I'm just doing the same thing. That means nothing is wrong to do that. So I think the court was very fair, and I'm very happy. Calls are growing for mandatory coronavirus tests for the SAR's taxi drivers after four tested positive for the virus this week. Taxi groups say only 30 to 40 percent of drivers are taking voluntary tests. DAB has urged the government to offer tests for drivers at petrol stations. The party says drivers are put off by the location of testing centres and parking costs. Ben Chan is one of its lawmakers. It is a difficult target. But it's not an unattainable target. We have the talent, we have the manpower, we have the resources. So I believe that we could achieve this. But it means that we have to work together. That means every Hong Kong person has to look into their own lifestyle and think about the climate change because this is for our next generation, for the young people. 
I think that was the uh, incorrect clip there. But uh, anyway, um, a government advisory body on the environment has proposed setting an ambitious target of achieving a carbon-neutral Hong Kong by 2050. The Council for Sustainable Development put forward the goal and made dozens of recommendations for achieving it after carrying out public consultation last year. But its chairman, Arthur Lee, cautioned that the administration could set the target of going carbon-neutral but would not be able to achieve it unless the public changed their lifestyles. It is a difficult target. But it's not an unattainable target. We have the talent, we have the manpower, we have the resources. So I believe that we could achieve this. But it means that we have to work together. That means every Hong Kong person has to look into their own lifestyle and think about the climate change because this is for our next generation, for the young people. China has congratulated the US president-elect Joe Biden on his victory in last week's election. It had been among a handful of countries, including Russia, that had not yet acknowledged Mr Biden's win. Beijing faced fierce criticism and sanctions from President Trump over a range of issues, including trade, espionage and human rights. It will be hoping to reset its relationship with the United States with Mr Biden in charge. Foreign Ministry spokesman Wang Wenbin spoke at a news conference in Beijing. We've been following reaction to the election in the United States, both from within and from the international community. We respect the choice of the American people. We extend congratulations to Mr. Biden and Ms. Harris. We understand the results of the U.S. presidential election will be determined according to U.S. laws and procedures. Beijing's acknowledgement of Mr. Biden's win came hours after President Trump signed an executive order banning U.S. investors from buying or selling shares in companies that Washington deems to be owned or backed by the Chinese military. 31 firms are on the blacklist. The president's order said China was increasingly exploiting American capital to boost the development and modernization of China's military, intelligence and other security mechanisms that could threaten U.S. interests. A controversial decision to pull the plug on Ant Group's blockbuster IPO was made by President Xi Jinping himself, according to a new report by the Wall Street Journal. The offering, which would have raised a record 37 billion US dollars, was abruptly halted last week, just two days ahead of its planned launch in both Shanghai and Hong Kong. The journal cited unnamed mainland officials in its story, quoting them as saying that President Xi had ordered regulators to investigate Ant Group and effectively halt its stock market flotation. The founder of the fintech giant, Jack Ma, had earlier criticised the mainland regulatory system for stifling innovation and called for reforms. Official results from Myanmar's general election confirmed that Aung San Suu Kyi's ruling party, the National League for Democracy, has won enough parliamentary seats to form the next government. Results formally declared so far confirmed that the NLD has secured 346 seats, passing the required 322. PBC's Jonathan Head reports. At the last election five years ago, the National League for Democracy, which had campaigned against military rule for 27 years, embodied the hopes of millions of Burmese for a better future and won a resounding majority. But the past five years of NLD government have disappointed many of those hopes. The economy has grown, but the income gap has grown faster. Critics of the government, and especially the military, are still being jailed. And the long conflicts with ethnic insurgents in border areas are no closer to being resolved. But the trust and affection for Aung San Suu Kyi has held up. 
The French Prime Minister Jean Castex has led tributes to what the 130 people killed five years ago in the deadliest attack by Islamist militants in Europe. He and the mayor of Paris, Anne Hidalgo, held a minute's silence and laid wreaths at the places where the gunman and bombers struck. One of the survivors of the attack at the Bataclan Theatre, Thomas Trandin, said recent attacks in France and the coronavirus pandemic made this year's commemorations even more difficult. I always had hope in human decency and that hope I still have, it's, it's been on trial, you know. And my answer to this um, is trying to be decent and caring human being. And everyone, we are in COVID right now, everyone is struggling. And um, we, we, we can do this, but we have to find a way to be together. Sport now, and the BBC's Mas Faruqi has a wrap-off of the latest football action. The lineup for next year's men's European Championship is complete after Scotland, Slovakia, Hungary and North Macedonia came through their playoff finals. It'll be the first time in their history that North Macedonia will compete at a major men's tournament. Scotland will play their great rivals England in the group stage next year after they needed a penalty shootout to edge past Serbia. Fulham's Aleksandra Mitrovic's last spot kick was saved by David Marshall. Hungary scored twice late on to beat Iceland, but they have an incredibly tough three fixtures to look forward to in their group next summer. They'll play current and former world champions France and Germany, as well as the holders of this competition, Portugal. And Slovakia left it late too, needing a goal in additional time to beat Iceland. Qualification for the now 2021 Africa Cup of Nations continues this weekend with eight fixtures across both Saturday and Sunday. Liverpool's Sadio Mane will hope to be a key man again for Senegal. They beat Guinea-Bissau 2-0 early in the week with Mane scoring a penalty. So should we expect the same result on Sunday? And there's an important fixture for Egypt in a really tight group. They need to start picking up wins. So we'll be targeting all three points against Togo. And a reminder of our top stories tonight. An appeal board overturns a police ban on a march for press freedom this Sunday on the condition that Matthew Chern grants an exemption to coronavirus gathering restrictions. High Court judge criticises the Justice Secretary, suggesting she'd not done enough to defend the judiciary from attacks. And Hong Kong's economy is now projected to shrink a record 6.1% for the year. And that's the news from RTHK. RTHK. It's time now to get stories covered in this evening's user app programme. A top government advisory body on the environment has proposed setting an ambitious target of achieving a carbon-neutral Hong Kong by 2050. The Council for Sustainable Development put forward the goal and made dozens of recommendations for achieving it after carrying out public consultation last year. RTHK's Anna-Marie Evans asked Edwin Lyle, the executive director of the environmental group Green Earth, what he thought of this target. I think this is the this is needed for any cities who want to go for uh, supporting the Paris Agreement to lower the atmospheric temperatures uh, within the two degrees uh, increase or even lower than that. And this is the suggestions by the Sustainable Development Council, and I think the Environment Bureau to come out and make this as a goal and target for Hong Kong. What's the city? Yeah, in terms of the Hong Kong government, what are its current targets? They didn't have any target for 2050 so far. 
uh, from the Hong Kong government, but from the Sustainable Development Council, this is their their preferred uh, kind of their wish, their vision. Now, the uh, Council for Sustainable Development has also suggested um, the idea of the of Hong Kong buying power from the mainland. So this would be renewable energy from the mainland. But there was uh, when they actually, uh, you know, they've they've published their report today, and this was drawing from a public consultation exercise. But there was some uh, public opposition to this idea. Right, and I think the Environment Bureau should come up to uh, explain. To the uh, to those opposing voices, that why this is important that we uh, should uh, expand our uh, our electricity, I mean, uh, 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 supply uh, away beyond our our own boundary. Because if you really just concentrated on um, developing renewable energy within Hong Kong boundary. There is not enough space for, I mean, enough large-scale wind farms or solar farms. I mean, those are the key renewable energy sources which are clean and which is which are proven uh, in the market. The Hong Kong without a limited uh, um, area, workable area. I mean, we can build uh, offshore wind power. But still, there are many uh, restrictions due to the, uh, the the channel for for transport and 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 other restrictions. So we can have limited uh, development on our on our waters. But then we can uh, expand this beyond our boundary. So it is really only to uh, uh, expand to mainland China. I don't think this is the only options. And then we can bring further uh, beyond uh, China when we are talking about expanding our uh, 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 buying from uh, other sources, renewable energy from other, other places. Hong Kong people will soon be able to invest more of their retirement funds in mainland stocks. Shanghai and Shenzhen stock exchanges have been added to a list of bourses outside the SCR that are approved by the MPF Schemes Authority. The move effectively lifts the cap on the weighting of A-shares in offerings under the Mandatory Provident Fund Scheme. A professor from Chinese University's Department of Economics, Terence Chong, said he's hopeful the move can generate higher returns to investors. He spoke to RTHK's Joanne Wong. The announcement means that uh, the MPF, the fund of MPF, may be able to like purchase the stocks outside Hong Kong and the share like uh, of the A-stock may increase a little bit. So um, that the MPF returns may be increased because of the diversification of the investment. For the choices of funds within uh, the MPF, right now we do have quite a lot of options in, uh, that include Hong Kong and mainland companies. How are the offerings going to change? The thing is, uh, in the past, we did buy some stock in the Asia, but there's come a cap on that. You may not be able to like uh, purchase, purchase more than 10% of the value of your fund. And uh, now we also include some more country uh, in the pool. The more country that uh, you have in the pool, uh, the better will be the return because you have more options. So um, the purpose of this expansion is to allow 
the fund to make more outside investment over Hong Kong so that I can diversify the risk and increase the return. Do you see corporate governance as a potential issue? Well, of course, the governance is very important, uh, but the return is also important. So in China, I think the governance is uh, improving over time. And also for some emerging market, I think uh, the governance should be okay. Otherwise, they will not choose those countries to be included. Aung San Suu Kyi's governing party has won an overwhelming victory in Myanmar's general election, despite the country's continuing problems. Her support held despite rising income inequality and continued fighting between the army and several ethnic groups. Anne-Marie Evans asked our Southeast Asia correspondent, Larry Jagan, what he made of the results. Well, it was a foregone conclusion, um, partly because of the uh, uh, adoration for Aung San Suu Kyi. I mean, she's affectionately known in, in Myanmar as Ma Su or Mother Su. Uh, but also, since COVID hit Myanmar uh, fairly dramatically in the last seven months, uh, she's taken a very prominent role in making sure uh, that the social distancing, uh, health regulations are respected. She's on television every night, uh, and it's given her uh, and the NLD uh, an unfair advantage to some extent. But there's no question that in that really people came out to vote for two reasons. One was that they want maintain uh, the, the push towards democracy. They, w- they want constitutional change. Uh, they want to see civilian ab- administration. And secondly, they do not want a return to the military. Uh, and, and that maybe was probably even more important than, than anything else. What about the representation of ethnic groups such as the Rohingya? Well, the Rohingya... Uh, it, it, it really weren't able to vote. They were disenfranchised. Uh, um, even those uh, 300,000 or so who are still in the country, um, they, 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 there were very few uh, Rohingya candidates um, for, for separate parties, and most of them were, were disqualified. Amongst the NLD, of course, there are two Muslim candidates uh, who won seats. But the ethnic minorities, I mean, because after all, there are seven ethnic states in in Myanmar. Um, The ethnic parties actually did a lot better than they did in 2015, partly because uh, instead of fighting each other, they've they've formed united uh, coalitions. They still haven't won as much uh, as they would have liked. But at least in Rakhine, uh, which is where the the Rohingyas are, uh, and in Shan State, the NLD has not won the majority and therefore uh, some form of coalition government, uh, at least in Rakhine, it will have to be with the Rakhine, who who are Buddhist. Uh, In in Shan, uh, the Shan will will certainly be in a very strong position. In terms of who's running the country, I mean, is it Aung San Suu Kyi, is it the NLD or is it the military still? Well, it's very difficult to say who's running the country. Uh, I'd have to say, in reality, Aung San Suu Kyi is probably running the country, but she has a very tough job. Uh, There's no doubt that the NLD support her, 
um, and and the party is is really uh, run almost almost I'm afraid uh, like a, a, a semi uh, fiefdom. The military, however, do maintain a very strong political position. They hold 25% of the seats in Parliament. Uh, they elect or select uh, three ministers. That's the Defence Minister, the Interior Minister, and the Border Affairs Minister, and also one of the vice presidents. In in Myanmar, there are three vice presidents who are elected: one by the the, the military, one by the upper house, and one by the lower house. And then all the parliament sits together and elects the president from those three. Uh, the president, obviously, this time round, will definitely not be military. It will be uh, an NLD candidate. But the military are still very important. In terms of, I mean, when, when we look at uh, Myanmar, we talk about the military, we talk about uh, democracy or the Rohin issue of the Rohingya. But what about issues like the Myanmar economy, for example? Well, the, the, the economy is in dire straits at the moment, partly, uh, obviously, because of the impact of COVID and uh, the general international uh, e economic situation. Uh, but it has been improving. I mean, before January this year, uh, we've, we've seen quite steady growth. There has been uh, foreign investment. What, what we've seen from the government is actually attempts to uh, liberalise the economy, to stabilise uh, the inflation, uh, to strengthen the banking services. I, I mean, the, 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 the banking reforms have been very significant. There are to be taxation reforms in the near future. Now, in terms of the military, though, they do still have a significant hold on economic matters. There are two uh, corporations uh, that, that, that control a lot of the country's economy, uh, and they are purely in the hands of the military. But uh, it is in, in the economy that I'd say that the civilian government has the largest sway or the most influence. And in some ways, the military are quite happy to allow that to happen. They say as long as uh, we control the defence and strategic issues, and that is cross-border movement as well, uh, we'll allow the civilian government to, to, to control the economy. Operation Santa Claus 2020 is in full swing, and this year we're raising money for 19 charities. One of the projects is Bring Me a Book Hong Kong. Radio 3's Steve James spoke to Pia Wong, executive director of the non-profit organisation, which is a leading advocate for family literacy in our community. The main aim is very simple, is just to get as many parents um, reading with their children, to get a real love of reading um, in Hong Kong, because believe it or not, Hong Kong children actually have the lowest rate of interest to read, motivation to read. Wow. You know, we've got to make the books, you know, choose books that are fun and interesting. So in kindergartens, um, it's, it's been, you know, 10 years, 15 years ago, there were no fun picture books. Um, and it's, it's really a labour of love to curate a really good, you know, book list with picture, fun picture books, both in English and in Chinese. So mm. all our libraries that we install are a mix of, you know, 50% English and 50% Chinese um, picture books. And, you know, it's all about having fun, creative expression, imagination, and bringing that joy and, and interest. You know, this year is particularly important because, you know, more parents um, and children at home. Cause yes. You know, schools um, have been closed so it's more relevant than ever like how do I choose good books so we help parents with not just choosing books but giving them training on mm. how to make it 
um, interesting, but also setting up, you know, reading clubs in the schools and getting the parents themselves to volunteer to become, you know, like the storytelling mums or dads mm. as well. We love dads. Oh, good, good, Don't, good. don't forget dads. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that we're, you know, we'll, we're excited to have OSC support is the um, it's the curated libraries that we're going to be um, bringing into six primary schools, um, and they're actually not just wonderful picture books, but they're actually focused. Um, on improving a child's socio and emotional well-being. So, with all the stress and anxiety that's yeah. been happening this last year, you know, like you know, books that focus on um, kindness mm. and um, you know mindfulness. Even it's amazing. Children's books these days are quite sophisticated. What's the moment when mm. you're reading to your child and you go and it clicks in you and go, oh, this is good. The best thing that I love to hear, and I think, and you know, you've done a good job, is a simple question which is can you read it to me again what is it with reading the same story over oh, and it's over the and best over thing. and it is like it's often the same book again and again and it can be done many many times um and often parents are concerned they think there's something wrong with their child you know why they keep wanting to read the same one but actually it shows that 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 child has developed an, a, you know, a lovely connection with the story. And as adults, we put our adult brain into children's brains and we think, oh, you know, they, it's such a simple book. But actually for a child, there's so many new different things to look at on the picture and the pages and new words to, to understand. Um, Would it make me um, a cruel parent if I used to really enjoy when we had to read the same story for like the 20th time? <laughs> I changed some of the words. And, and they would have known, yeah, right? Yes, and they <laughs> That's a great, um, that, that's brilliant. <laughs> and even you can get them to change the endings, you can get them to be the characters in the story. Mm. You can, there's so many fun ways to make the same kind of story, which you may, as an adult parent, be a bit bored of, just to make it a bit more fun for yourself. But that takes creativity. And that was Pia Wong, Executive Director of Bring Me a Book Hong Kong, speaking to Steve James. If you want to know more or wish to make a donation to Operation Santa Claus, then please visit our Radio 3 homepage or oscscmp.com. Those stories are part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Robert Kemp from our newsroom. Digital TV broadcasting will be fully implemented soon. Tell your friends and relatives quickly. From December 1st, analog TV sets won't be able to receive free TV channels. Act quickly to add a set-top box or switch to a digital TV set. Eligible households in need can apply for the Community Care Fund Digital Television Assistance Program. Call 2922-9230 to learn more. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December. We'll have moments to remember. 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 Nostalgia with Ray Cordero from now until 1am.